Welcome to Theory Lab. Thank you so much for listening to the American Cancer Society Research Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Susanna Greer, and good news, bad news scenario today. Bad news is our co-host, Joe Cotter, is having a well-deserved day off. Good news, I'm here with my fantastic colleagues, David Sampson and Dr. Lynn. David, are you there? Susanna, I'm here. This is David Sampson. I'm the uh, Director of Medical and Scientific Communications here at the American Cancer Study and a big fan of the podcast, so I'm really happy to join again. And once again this week, I spoke to Dr. Len Lichtenfeld, our Deputy Chief Medical Officer, who also heads up our COVID-19 task force. And we touched on a lot of issues that I think your listeners are going to like. Ah, David, I think they are. It's a wide span of issues related to cancer and COVID-19, all the way from impacts in some of our rural communities to prioritizing care for cancer patients to cancer screening, all the way to the emotional toll that this has taken on all of us, um, including and especially cancer patients and caregivers. And then you end up talking about cancer research, uh, the impact on research and some of the advice that we are moving towards being able to give to cancer patients. So thank yeah. you, David. It's really a pleasure to be here. And the, you know, the message that I think Land is trying to tell us here is when the epidemic ends, it's not the end of the issues associated with it. Absolutely. All right, let's listen to you and Lynn. Thanks so much, David. Thank you, Susanna. Len, thanks for joining us again today. It's been quite a few weeks going on here. And now this week for the first time, and particularly here at the end of the week, we're starting to see some hopeful signs, fewer ICU patients in New York City being the one that people are talking about. It's a good sign. We're not there yet, but we're getting there, aren't we? We certainly are, David. And as you watch the projections over the course of the past week or so, the number of deaths have come down, the demand on hospital resources has you know, lessened, and all of those are good signs, but we have to keep something in mind. We're not yet where we need to be. It's still, you know, we're still, if not early, we're in midpoint right now. So we can't give up what we're doing. We can't take things for granted. And once again, we have to keep our guard. We have to maintain social distancing. This is not the time to let down. You and I talked earlier this week on Twitter, and we talked about the real troubling signs in the rural areas. That's one place that would be very easy for people to forget, isn't it? It, it's a, it is a an area where people may forget or don't think they have to you know, do shelter in place or social distancing. You know, I, I've been watching those numbers very carefully, particularly here in Georgia. And I will share with everyone that uh, we have family in these areas. And our family is in a place that has a very rapid increase in the number of uh, COVID-19 cases. And uh, it may not be big numbers like it is, uh, unfortunately, in New York City. But when you look at it uh, per what we call per capita, how many cases per 100,000 people, when you look at it as a rate, then you start to appreciate that in some parts of Georgia, uh, the rate of infection was uh, over 10 times higher than it was in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, that's something that catches your eye and you've got to take seriously. So rural parts of America, 
be especially aware that this is something that uh, we hope it doesn't come to a community that you live in, but it certainly could. And when it gets into those communities, it's very, very serious. So we're not out of this yet, but earlier this week, you were telling me you were having some thoughts about what happens when we do come out of it. I mean, we're all going to be relieved. We can't wait to go out and see our friends again. It's not that simple, is it? No, it's not that simple. I mean, there, there are certain strategies and things we have to be thinking about as a nation. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about it on TV among the experts. We have to you know, have extensive testing available. We have to have antibody testing to see who has already been infected. We need to do contact tracing. If somebody shows up with COVID-19, then we have to make sure their contacts are, go back into quarantine, unfortunately. But it's going to take a lot of intense effort in order to keep this under control. But what I've been thinking about is what about all the pent up demand that people are facing, particularly in our and the people we're most concerned about are obviously the patients with cancer. And what about all those people who had all those procedures delayed, who may have had their treatment delayed, who had their treatment shifted around? You know, they may have gotten their you know, may have gotten chemotherapy instead of surgery, they may have gotten radiation instead of chemotherapy. Everything is sort of turned upside down, and we're gonna have to sort of sort that out. And we have, uh, you know, we have a lot of people out there who have had their treatments delayed, had their visits delayed, had their, you know, their scans delayed, and all that's going to hit an overburdened system at the same time. Not to mention the emotional toll this has taken on all of us, especially our, you know, our clinicians, our healthcare professionals, our nurses and the first responders. So yeah, we're we're going to have a, a crunch when we come out of this, and we we need to start thinking today about what we're going to do to prioritize uh, when we come out of it to make sure that those who are most in need get the care first versus those where we perhaps can wait a little bit longer. And those people who did put off treatments or sought different types of treatments, we don't really know what the impact is on them. And it's interesting to think a few weeks, a few months maybe ahead from now, when these people come back into the medical system, it's almost like a whole new way of looking at cancer for these patients. It is a new way of looking at cancer. And quite honestly, in the conversations that I've been listening to and some of them that I've been part of, you start to hear the, the, the clinicians, the oncologists start to say, maybe, you know, we can don't have to do as much chemotherapy as many courses. Maybe we don't have to be as intense in our treatment. Maybe we can modify our radiation therapy doses and give perhaps more radiation in a shorter period of time. What can we do to make it easier? Another point that a lot of people may not be familiar with is that some oncology centers have been basically taken over as COVID-19 centers in their hospitals. So all that, you know, think about all the cleaning and all the disinfecting and all the, you know, changing back to some sort of, some semblance of normal. All that's going to take time. So yeah, people, People are thinking, and, I, and I'm a, I assure everyone that the, the cancer centers, the docs are all giving, and the nurses, everyone's giving attention to the question, what do we need to do to get back to normal, and how are we going to make people feel once again that uh, their care is, is on track? Now, not to mention, by the way, we have you know, all the people who haven't gotten their screenings done. And, you know, if you think about the number, somebody pointed out in a call uh, the other day that you we have about 1.7, 1.8 million cancer diagnoses. I can never remember the exact number, unfortunately. But one quarter of those people would have been screened or diagnosed during this two or three month period of time. 
And all those people have to be taken care of and make sure they get in, get diagnosed, get screened, follow-up tests, whatever it takes. We have to be sure that we can get get the system working again. And already the system, as we know, is a bit overburdened to start with. So it's right. going to be uh, uh, take a lot of logistics to make this to get this normalization in place. And all of us have made sacrifices. Our lives are different. We've had to be very patient social distancing, all the little things. Now imagine you're a patient with cancer and what you're giving up. I mean, it's a remarkable sacrifice for people having to put off things like follow-up appointments or having to change their treatment. Just remarkable. And it's not just the patients, it's the families, it's the caregivers. You know, the employers are going to, you know, people want to go back to work and yet they have to get their care taken care of. There are a lot of things that are going to happen in ways that we're not thinking about. I, I, I'm still very concerned about the emotional toll of this pandemic. Uh, and uh, although it's not cancer specific, certainly cancer patients and their families are very subject to that same concern. The emotional toll in getting people th- back to normal after they've been in their homes for however many weeks or months it may be, uh, haven't maybe they've been unemployed, maybe they've had terribly, terrible, terrible financial burdens, the emotional toll is something that uh, we need to reckon with and uh, figure out a way to get people care. In the midst of all this, we announced our next round of funding for ACS you know, applicants who want to do cancer research. Um, we went ahead and did that. We met virtually to approve those that funding, and we are moving the start date of those grants from July 1st to September 1st to accommodate changes from the epidemic. Everything has been put on hold, even our own research uh, and our our grantees are having to wait. In the meantime, I know we reached out to our grantees to ask them how this epidemic was affecting them. You've been taking a look at those numbers. Do you wanna share a little bit of what you you see? So the information we've received is, is preliminary. But it makes a point that I think is important for everyone uh, to be, you know, thinking about. You know, there are a lot of things going on. We've already talked about several of them with regard to, to care and cancer care. But let's talk about the research, what we call the research enterprise, cancer research, the, the fundamental basic cancer research that is going to lead us to, to into in new places to think about cancer, cancer clinical trials cancer laboratory research, whatever kind of research it may be related to cancer. Think about the impact of COVID-19 and the coronavirus on all of those researchers and all those projects. So the American Cancer Society, our, our research group, our extramural research grants group, reached out to researchers around the country. And I, although it's preliminary, there were close to 300 respondents so far. So people were obviously interested in sharing their, their information. Half, over half are working remotely. The other half can only go into their labs occasionally. Wow. For a good number of them, you know, so for 60, close to 60% of those researchers, their research has been temporarily, temporarily halted. And for 60%, their laboratories have been closed completely. I mean, those are astounding numbers. And almost all of them have had either a high impact or a moderate impact on the research that they're doing. So what's that saying? That's saying there are a lot of experiments, there are a lot of clinical trials, there's a lot of clinical research when we work with patients and families. 
a lot of that has been suspended. Now, some of it has been able to continue because you can reach out by telephone or by you know, a video conference, whatever it may be. Of course, American Cancer Society, and what people may not be familiar with, we're one of the leading funders, we're the leading nonprofit funder of cancer research in this country. And we provide a lot of the funding for uh, what we call, you know, postdocs or new researchers who come into into the laboratory. And this is these are these people are treasures. I mean, they really they're the people starting their careers. Mm-hmm. What are we going to yeah. do for those, that group? And if we so yeah, I, it, it it's it's important. Can I just share? I want to share sure. one comment with you because it it just struck me. This is a comment that came from a researcher in response to our survey. It said. The researcher said, continue to support us. We will get back to fighting cancer as soon as we can. And it was a simple statement, but I think it summarizes how important research funding is and the support from research funding. And of course, we at the American Cancer Society want to be able to continue doing that. But to be able to continue doing that, well, it needs we need support from the community in order to maintain, maintain that effort. I, I hope we haven't lost, you know, you don't know until after the fact, what the impact is going to be. I hope we haven't lost good ideas and good work. I share that concern. It again comes back to the sacrifices everybody is is making, and this is an incredible uh, sacrifice that will have impact for all cancer patients. And we really need to, under again, revisiting the need to, when we come back to this, how do we get back on our feet? This is one of the things we're going to have to address. We're going to really need support and to move forward. One of the most rewarding parts of my job as a communications person here is to go to these cancer conferences and to hear from the early career grantees who said, yeah, I would not have gotten my career going in cancer research had it not been for even these, quote, small grants that we give to get them going as postdocs. I mean, we are the engine that that brings these early career researchers and gets them into bigger funds from NCI. And and again, the 45 Nobel laureates we've funded earlier in their careers. Actually, 47. 40, 49 now, 49. 49, right. <laughs> That's right. That's we can't both, keep track. We, we both have so to keep fast. track. But, you know, it's not just the early researchers. I tell you, I go to meetings. And yes, the early research, I mean, then they tell their stories. They're just so absolutely incredible. I mean, they're young, young people who are just so committed and they're so wonderful. And I go to conferences where I have established, I mean, I, almost every meeting I go to, there's somebody there who I know and admire, respect, who I've, you know, I don't know personally, but comes up to me and literally says to me, you gave me my start. What can I do to help you? When you're sitting with one of the leading lung cancer docs in the world and you, uh, we're having a conversation never we had not met before and he says, what can I do to help because you helped me? Wow. And, and I hope that we as, a, as the American Cancer Society and our supporters are all going to be able to come together and make sure that these researchers are con- able to continue doing the work that's so important. And, you know, my, my heart goes out. My heart goes out to a lot of people right now, but I don't want them to be forgotten either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. There's so much sacrifice on behalf of patients, researchers, everybody, and even the public at large making making yeah. little sacrifices in their daily life. And we will when we come out of this, we we will need to address these issues. We're not done when it's done. Um, We've talked before about how this epidemic is changing treatment of a lot of uh, patients w- with cancer and people are having to put off treatment or do different things. And doctors are basically having to make it up as they go along here. But in one case, in the case of breast cancer, 
you found a report this week from groups who were trying to give doctors some guidance. I, I did, and I was really uh, impressed and appreciated that, that these these types of guidance uh, documents are coming out because they're important for everybody to know. They're important for patients and families. They're important for docs around the country. So organizations, the breast surgeons, uh, uh, the breast programs, National Comprehensive Cancer Network, Commission on Cancer, American College of Radiology, and some pretty pretty impressive experts came together and said, look, let, let's define who is at greatest risk, who needs treatment right now, who is sort of in the middle group and who's in the in the group that can wait and how can we adjust treatments to make sure that uh, people are uh, you know they can't say they can't promise no harm but they can say absolutely reduce the risk of harm to patients with breast cancer so yeah I, it's too much to go into here and probably at fact not appropriate but when you start you know when we got into this it was pretty much what are you going to do in your local community you're going to get together you have groups of doctors what i am hearing by the way the tumor boards which are present in many hospitals around the country are not only coming together more regularly they're coming together more frequently because it's it's bringing experts together, whether it be at a major cancer center or a smaller community hospital, it's bringing uh, the teams together to say, okay, these are the problems we have. Let's work together to figure out how to get them solved. So yeah, the breast the breast uh, clinicians, the experts talked about, you know, some people are obviously high risk and need treatment right away. There are people who may have a, after surgery, need an abscess. They may have a fever because their white counts are low. They may have a type of cancer that really needs to be treated immediately, or maybe we can start chemotherapy now. Uh, one of the examples I've used in a number of my conversations have, have been women with uh, DCIS, non-invasive breast cancer that may be small and non-aggressive. And they make the statement that we've been talking about saying maybe start with hormonal therapy or anti-hormonal therapy uh, in the beginning and, and you can safely delay surgery. What's interesting is that it's, they point out that it's critically important, they, they understand that in this case, women with breast cancer are going to be very concerned about delaying treatment and how important it is for their clinicians to share, to understand, to listen, and to share with them that, in fact, the, the risk of delay is really minimal, if any at all. So we're learning about what we need to do and what we have to do, not necessarily what we want to do. And under, again, understanding, as we've said many times, we're all in this together. So experts are coming together. There are a lot of webinars going on now from organizations and from expert uh, physicians uh, helping to guide people how to respond to this, uh, this pandemic. And, and also, they're starting to talk, as we mentioned earlier, about how are we going to get screening back online and who's most important to be screened and make sure that those, who are, those folks who are symptomatic, who have a problem, who don't know about diagnosis for breast, of cancer, of any kind of cancer, that they get to that front of the line so they can be diagnosed and treated as, as promptly as possible. They're incredibly challenging times. And one of the things that strikes me from all of this is the, the amount of dignity people in this country are showing to one another and respect. And you're, you're, those are wise words that when this uh, epidemic seems to be ending, it's just the start of a whole new range of things we're going to have to deal yeah. with. You you may or may not remember when we did our first podcast, we talked at the end of that podcast about the humanity of people one to another in times of distress and in times of illness. And I mentioned how I'd experienced that myself. And I know many who are listening to this have experienced the same thing in their own lives. Um, how many examples have we seen of that? 
And how many times, if you if you watch media, you know, and I do, I watch a lot of reports. How many times have you seen those examples played out? Uh, the sad, unfortunately, tragic messages that come out as well, which are always very difficult to hear. But the uplifting messages that come out of people being kind to one another are coming together. So, uh, as we said right at the very beginning, we will get through this. Uh, and we need, it won't be easy, and there will be moments when some of us get a little shorter than we would like to be with our, our friends and our families, including me. Uh, uh, but we'll get through it, and we always have to remember that humanity, that dignity, how important that is in times like this. Mm-hmm. Healthcare workers, the public, cancer oh patients, their families, everybody is yep. coming yes. together here to do what we can. Len, thanks again for your time. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, if you have any questions about cancer in relation to COVID-19 or anything else, you can reach us 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-800-227-2345 or visit our website at www.cancer.org. And be sure to see our special section on coronavirus. Thank you.